Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PGA professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at pbrandon 21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So, weather's starting to cold change. We've had some rain coming in. Um, obviously, the hurricane's down um, in Louisiana. Uh, starting to make landfall this week. Um, so, not a lot of golf coverage. So, I figured I'd go back and review the first interview I had with my good friend from Tim's Ford Bear Trace, uh, Jared Melson. So, everybody tune in, listen, have fun. All right, everyone, I want you to say hello to my good friend, Jared Melson. Jared Melson is the general manager, head pro at Bear Trace at Tim's Ford down in Winchester, Winchester, Tennessee. Tennessee. Always get Winchester and Manchester mixed up there. Um, Good friend of mine, known him for a long time. He is the three-time in a row player of the year for the senior PGA here in Tennessee. Um, Last year played and made the cut in the senior PGA championship. Uh, finished in the top 35 in the professional senior PJ championship. Uh, also was voted into the 2020 all team uh, pros first team. Congrats on that. So Jared, welcome. Uh, thank you. Good to be here. So kind of give it a rundown of what I know about Jared, but I'm going to give him a chance to tell more about himself. Um, we're really going to start with your history. So why did you get into golf? I just started at early age. My dad was a big, uh, avid golfer. He had a golf club in my hand at two and a half years old. Uh, it was like I grew up with thinking everybody played golf. Uh, didn't know any different. Uh, he would come home from work or on the weekends. He'd say, I'm going to the golf course. You want to go? And nine times out of ten, I'd follow him out there. You know, he, he never pushed me, and that was a really good thing about uh, growing up. Uh, I played with a couple of juniors later on 15 16 years old that uh, actually quit the game of golf because their parents had pushed them so much into the game uh, but dad would come home and if i went to the golf course it was great uh, he was glad but if i didn't i know he was upset but he never showed it uh, he would just go to the golf course play that afternoon or whatever after work or play on the weekends uh, and then as i got a little bit older um, they actually entered me into a uh, men's tournament at the golf course at four and a half years old i played nine holes and walked nine holes for my first tournament at four and a half years old uh, and they gave me a little trophy i still have the trophy to this day uh, so uh, just at an early age that uh, you know playing golf i started playing competitively in tournaments by the time i was seven uh, so i had a full schedule in the summer i went through junior golf and uh, by the time i was probably I want to say 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, I thought for sure I was going to be on the PGA Tour. Um, I had such a head start on everybody else that I was, I was beating a lot of the other kids my age uh, pretty easily. 
So I had probably, my ego was probably a little bit inflated because I had such a head start. And then when I got to about 14, 15, 16 years old, um, the learning curve, I kind of reached a plateau. Everybody else was getting into the game, you know, three or four years into it. Uh, they started catching up pretty quick. Uh, I realized I was still a good player. Um, yeah. But uh, I went to college, went to MTSU on a golf scholarship there, played my four years. Um, funny thing happened, not really funny, but in golf, but uh, my last semester yeah, there, yeah. getting my degree, uh, I, my eligibility had run up and didn't have anything left uh, to play in my last semester. And somewhere between there and I was going to go down to Florida and play on the mini tour, and I had some backers in my hometown of Fayetteville. And uh, somewhere in there, I had developed a little putting problem called the YIPS. I don't <laughs> pronounce that very often. But uh, uh, basically, my game just went to, went to the pot. And uh, I put all those plans on hold. Um, almost quit the game, and it got so bad uh, that uh, I literally almost quit it. I got into the golf business shortly thereafter and uh, worked as a golf professional in various different capacities and uh, ended up getting out of the golf business for 12 years uh, after being in it for 12 years and now I've been back to it for seven years now so uh, my path has been a little bit different than some of your other traditional guys but you know golf was always in my blood going back to like I said dad had a club in my hand at two and a half years old. So what was the home course? You're, you're playing in men's tournaments at four and a half. What's the home course? Give a little shout out to the where you got started. Uh, it was Fayetteville Golf and Country Club. Uh, the country club back home in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Um, it's a really short golf course, uh, but it's uh, out of bounds to the right on every hole. So if you've got a slice down there, you probably don't want to play there every day. Uh, but it, it was a great golf course looking back uh, in, in, a, in a couple of ways. It, it was good and bad in different ways because it was good because I learned how to shoot low scores at an early age. I wasn't afraid, you know, you, you get a lot of junior golfers now maybe that's coming up in the junior ranks and they get really good, um, especially the boys. Uh, they always want to play every golf course from the tips. And we always called it growing up, play one foot on, one foot off. And we did that. But playing at a golf course that was about, it's a nine hole golf course. It's now a public golf course. They went into bankruptcy, unfortunately, a few years ago, and a friend of mine uh, actually bought the golf course out of bankruptcy. So it's a Pebble Creek Country Club now, or okay. Pebble, Creek, Pebble Creek Golf Course. And um, so growing up, though, on a short golf course, par 35, uh, broke par at 12 years old for the first time. So I got accustomed to shooting under par, and I wasn't afraid. And I'd go into a tournament, and if I got it uh, two or three under, and, and, and kind of nowadays, sometimes I go to these tournaments and if I get it a couple under par, most golf courses are par 72, and you get three under par, that magic number of shooting 69, breaking 70, it gets in your head. You start thinking, well, I gotta get to the clubhouse, I gotta post this three under par. Well, as a kid, par was 70. So anything under par was in the 60s. And then once I learned that you know, two or three unders, not, you know, nothing special. All of a sudden to me, I'm wanting to get five, six under, seven under. So comfort zone golf, your comfort zone was always in the 60s. So even when exactly. you stepped up on harder golf courses, 
you were used to shooting in the 60s, and so that's where your mentality always went to. Right. Okay, awesome. So, uh, let's, let's go back. Okay, so we've won the... 2017, 2018, and 2019 um, Omega Player of the Year here in the Tennessee in the senior section. Mm-hmm. Um, what snapped in 17? I mean, I know that's the year you qualified for the National Club Pro for the seniors and, and had a chance to go there. What what was different about 17 than from 16? Uh, I think um, probably going back about, like you said, about three years mm-hmm. ago, um, Odd situation was about five years ago, I'd say, and I came back to the section in 2013. And then um, I played fairly well that year. Uh, had been out of the golf business for those 12 years. Uh, mentally, I came back wanting to prove to everybody that I had not left, had not lost anything on my golf game. And it was almost like I had to prove myself. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but I felt like when I went to tournaments that uh, I didn't want anybody to think that, well, you know, you know there's Jared, he's been gone for 12 years and you know, his golf game is worse or whatever, but I wanted to prove to everybody that I was just as good or better. Uh, so there was a little motivation there. And I played well my first year back. And then uh, somewhere along 14, 2015, started getting, uh, again, it was more mental than anything, um, just starting to think about different positions. I started to hit this big block to the right, big slices and blocks. I couldn't get out of it. And I went for about a year and a half, and I would get through tournaments and play okay, post some good scores, but it was all deceiving because deep down I had this going back to the, I'll say it now, it was the yips, but I basically had the full swing yips with my driver especially. I was getting into a position, my mind and my body wanted to hit a draw. If anything, I couldn't, because growing up, like I said earlier, in that short golf course without a bounce to the right, anything to the right, I hated. I could not stand to see a ball go to right. And when you start hitting three or four blocks, I'm, I'm, I'm talking 50 and 60 yard blocks on sometimes. Oh man. Just getting out of position and you never know when those are gonna come about. So I went for about a year and a half and really struggled and was playing with a good buddy of ours, uh, Kelvin Bergen. Mm-hmm. We used to take uh, 16 guys going on a golf trip We up in southern Indiana. And I'm playing against him, he and his partner, and my, myself and my partner. And we get on the last hole, and it's par five. There's water to the right. There's out of bounds left. And it's a tough driving hole. But I'm getting up there, and I'm standing. I tee the ball up, and I look down the fairway, and I said, all right, just make a good swing, hit it down the middle. Next thing you know, I look up again, I look at, I see the water, and I said, don't hit that big block. I said, don't hit it in the water. I look back at the ball, and I look back up, and I said, uh, don't hit it left either. There's out of bounds to the left. So I'm standing there. After Every time I look up, I'm seeing all the trouble and where I'm going to be hitting this next one. I take the club back, get to the top of my swing, and literally, almost like a Charles Barkley, I start down and I just drop the club. I turned around, I said, sorry guys, I said that one was in the water. That was a bad shot. So exactly what you tell your students not to do. Not to do. Don't hear the word, the brain doesn't hear the word not. So if you hear, don't hit it in the water, or not hit it in the water, 
all you hear what brain hears is water. So right. exactly what you tell your students and recommend any player to do. So how did you get through that? How did you fight back to now get to this position? That was a, that was a challenge. Just like when I went through my putting problems uh, back after college, um, I studied. I had almost every book written about golf psychology, sports psychology, uh, the yips, and all the different things that go into it, and just a, a understanding of. Like you said, you know, if I say, you know, don't think about a pink elephant, well, what's the first thing you thought about? Was a pink elephant, but I told you don't think about it. You know, your subconscious mind, like you said, does not recognize the words no. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to sit there and say, don't do this or don't do that. I'm going to do this and going to do that. But it's, uh, it's a process. And it took me about two years to get out of my putting problems. And uh, I knew this was something deep-rooted. I'm a believer that... Um, you can't just turn a switch off and on and leave that area as, as far as if you've got the, the yips or something right. like that. I believe it's always in you at some point. There are times in the last year or two, uh, even this past year at the Senior Club Pro Championship, one of the particular golf courses the last day, it's like I played scared. And uh, some of those thoughts were coming back. As much as I know about the game, and like yourself, you, you know, talk about teaching players, you know, this is the way you have to do it. it. It all comes down to, in the heat of the moment, you're going to lose sight of a lot of those things that you've built on. But you hope that learning the process, completing the process, is what gets you through those times. And when you get mental and start thinking about things, uh, you, you can't play your best. And uh, kind of going back along there, the, what got me through that was I was playing out at Bear Trace. Um, a good friend of mine, Ron Cox, who's a, a teacher here locally at Hermitage Golf Center, he would come down occasionally and play some golf, and he would bring a couple buddies. And so we got to become real good friends over the couple years. And so I was telling him the story about up there over this tee shot, and we were out playing. And I hit three or four just horrible drives, big blocks to the right. And I was telling him, I, I can't stand any ball that goes slightly right. And these were going 50 and 60 yards right. So he just watched me, and we got through the last hole. He said, let's go up to the range for a minute. He said, i got a few things I want you to work on. So we went up there, and honestly, the only thing he showed me was my weight was getting just outside my right knee on the backswing. He said, you told me you want to hit a draw. Your mind and your body sees a draw. But he said, you're getting into a position where your weight is getting out there. Your first move down because you're a right-handed golfer. You're probably a little bit stronger in your right hand. You're trying to hit it harder. So your right side is getting out over and starting the downswing, which gets the club to vertical. And your mind and body knows you cannot hit a perfect, or you cannot hit a proper draw from that position. So what started mentally became physically, and then you could not work out of that. So he's he recommended taking a just a alignment stick, or flipping the club on the back end of it, and swinging it left-handed as hard as I could. And I did that for the, uh, I guess the all summer of 17. So mentally you're trying to hit a draw, but physically your body was in a position it couldn't, and so then you were compensating. And so by spending a little bit of time with a friend of yours who's also an instructor, you're able to clean that up and get that a little bit tighter. Correct. Awesome. So now we're in 2018. 
senior PGA championship. Tell me some stories. Who'd you play with? What was your pairing? How was it the experience being behind the ropes, being on the range with the big guys? Um, ironically, that was the first uh, PGA Tour event I've ever gotten to play in. I went to the St. Jude qualifier uh, years ago uh, when they had a four-spot member qualifier. I bogeyed the last hole at TPC Southwind, got into a playoff for the final two spots, and ended up three-putting the first playoff hole, lost in the playoff, and uh, had about a four-and-a-half-hour drive back home. And I replayed that last hole in the first playoff hole probably a million times and was so frustrated. Uh, I never even went to another qualifier after that. The next year, actually, they, they went to two, two spots instead of four. But I never went to another qualifier. Uh, I was so so mad at myself for, for doing that, you know, messing up on the last hoe. So I come flash forward here and I get into the, uh, I was actually the alternate. I was the ninth alternate into the tournament. Found out that we, I got the call on, uh, well, go back and forward a couple of days before that. Uh, we have an alternate list to get in all the senior PGAs and through the qualifiers. And we get these email updates. So when the ladies at PGA National, I was getting these updates as, uh, you know, so-and-so has dropped out as WD, so-and-so's in. X person has dropped out, so-and-so's in. So you're on the alternate list. So I'm on the alternate list. I'm getting these emails. I'm moving up a spot, a spot, a spot. And finally on uh, Monday afternoon of the week of the tournament, I get this last email of the person in front of me. Uh, They had gotten in. Something. I'm next. If I get a phone call or if I just get another email, uh, the email didn't come. And then about 30 minutes later, or I got an email that said somebody had dropped out, but not, I wasn't in. About 30 minutes later, PGA National calls me, says I'm in the tournament. Well, I'd already made plans to go up there because some friends of ours had told me, said, you know, you've never been in one. Uh, you can play practice rounds just like you're in the tournament. So said, you need to go up there and play. So I did. And I'd already had plans to go up there. So I got the call on Monday. I drove up halfway on uh, Monday afternoon, got there on Tuesday morning, and uh, checked in. Uh, up on the range. I got. We had a pro-am on Tuesday. Ended up playing with uh, Kurt Triplett and uh, Duffy Waldorf and one of the other club professionals. Uh, we played nine holes late that afternoon. Then I played uh, the next day, played with Bob Estes. I talked to, uh, my I, my caddy could not make the trip, so I had to find a caddy, local caddy up there. And on Wednesday, he was not available until after one o'clock, and Kenny Perry had already asked me that morning if I could, if I wanted to play. We had met each other on the range and talked and he walked by me on the putting green. He said, you ready to go? And I said, I don't have a caddy. And he had to have a caddy. And he said, well, you can't carry your own bag, can you? And I said, well, no, not up here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I missed an opportunity playing with him, but I ended up playing with Bob Estes that day. Um, so, and then I got, uh, because of the alternate list, I just took whoever spot had WD. Ended up getting paired with uh, Todd Hamilton and okay. uh, Mike Reed. Ray Hamilton is a British Open champion. British Open 2004, British Open champion. So uh, he was the one that made the hybrid 
popular, which is ironic because I have a bag full of hybrids. <laughs> I remember that year. He had like, it was weird. He had like a 14 degree hybrid cranked open to 19. And his goal was every time he missed the green, he would chip putt with the hybrid. Yes. And went on to win the tournament yes. like that. Yeah, he made the, made the hybrid famous because <laughs> of that. So, but, uh, you know, that tournament, uh, it, it was it was a blast. Never anything I'd imagine. I thought I would be so nervous that I could not even tee the ball up. And probably the one fortunate thing was my first pairing, first on Thursday, we were all on hole number 10, which at Harbor Shores, which they have the senior PGA up there again this year. Um, number 10 is about a, you have to get on a shuttle van from the clubhouse. It's about a 15 minute arrival time before you get to the tee box. You have to come out of the golf course, go down a road, back up another one, back up another one, get to the, and below the tee box, get on the shuttle cart and drive up to the top of the hill. So I need an extra driving range on the 10th tee yes. just to get warmed up for the driving yes. van so they ride. recommend you be there 15 or 20 minutes before your tee time on the van. So uh, when we get over there, there's really nobody on the tee box except your group, your, you, your, your caddy, the other players are caddies, your score, and the starter. There's really no fans over there. So there wasn't much chance to be nervous, per se. It was, it, you know, I get, I don't call it nervous. I get anxious at tournaments. Right. The butterflies. Um, yeah, How do you, we handle them? You still, you still feel those. Um, unfortunately, I got on the first tee, and they called my name, and it's like things just sped up, and I forgot everything that I've been working on. And my first shot, where does it go? I block it dead right down into a hazard. So I get started off in a bad way. I bogeyed my first hole. I blocked it on the third hole, number 12, made bogey. Um, things started getting worse. I hit my, on the number 15, at par five, I had to lay up. Well, I laid up, but I laid up into the river in front of the green. And so I had to take penalty shot, made bogey there. Uh, the next hole ended up hitting into a bunk. I missed my second shot by about 10 feet. It hit the top of a bunker and went down into the bunker. I blasted out and went up, missed the first putt, and had probably a foot and a half putt. And I remember trying to, uh, you know, it, things were just going so fast. I couldn't stop anything. Right. And I got up there and I just kind of reached over to tap it in instead of marking it and Todd Hamilton was in the same, uh, almost the same line. So I just kind of reached over. Sure enough, I whipped it, whipped it out, did a horseshoe right back at me. And uh, so I made double bogey there. Oh gosh. I double bogey the next hole. All of a sudden I'm nine over through eight holes. I walk off the uh, eighth green, I turn to my caddy and um, I said, name was Logan. I said, Logan, in a, in a funny way, I was trying to I was trying to make humor of whatever. I mean, I was I was embarrassed at this point because I turned to Logan. I said, Logan, I said, unless things change drastically, we're about to shoot in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so we just kind of laughed, and you know, I played the last ten holes. I think um, I played them uh, even par because I shot seventy nine. I did okay. break eighty. So great uh, turnaround I, there. I great turnaround. Uh, but it was, you know, we were talking about earlier about getting your weight outside your right foot. Well, that's the one key I was working on. And when I got on that call to the first tee, it's like 
you know, things just went so far. I, I didn't prepare myself for that. Tablecloth got pulled out from Nigeria. Yes. I, I, was out of my, I was out of my element. I didn't know how to, to handle that. Didn't know how to stop things for a moment and just gather my thoughts and, and keep going. So, you know, the first tournament, it was, it was a great experience. The guys up there, every one of them were so supportive. I, I'd heard stories about when you go to events like that, that uh, the club, the regular pros, treat the club pros it's um, they can tell who we are I yeah. mean, they they don't see us once or twice a year ever so they know who we are but it's almost like they all went out of the way to make you feel a part of them and make you feel welcome you know right, Kirk Triplett was the ex- perfect example um, the rest of the week I played those nine holes with him on Tuesday but the rest of the week every time I saw him it didn't matter if I if he saw me from 50 feet or if we turned around the corner and he bumped into me, he would always say, hey, Jared, how you doing? He would always say my name. And right. that's and something that stuck with got to think about it. All those guys grew up at clubs playing, so the club pro was the ultimate respect. We all loved our head pros growing up. It was, it right. was the man. And now you are the man, but in the position where they're respecting you because of what they know you do day to day. Right. That's amazing. So let's fast forward one year. So now we make the cut in 2000. In 19, what's going on here? Wait, how'd this happen? Oh, that was, uh, it, it was like a dream that just started in reality. We go up there, my caddy from the year before uh, that couldn't make it but the year before, he could make it this year. So we flew up to, it was up at Oak Hill up in New York. We get up there and we get it there on, uh, we fly in on Saturday and went over to Niagara Falls and just kind of, chilled out on Saturday and then we go over to Oak Hill on Sunday had a really bad rainstorm that day and nobody was really out on the golf course but late that afternoon we went out and played uh, I think we got in about 12 holes and we went and walked and uh, golf course is just incredibly tough it's one of the toughest I've played not the toughest but one of the toughest I've ever played but we get up there and uh, the second day, on uh, actually it was on Monday, we're out playing, uh, go up to the tee box, and uh, the senior PGAs and all the PGAs, they, don't, they have a tee sheet, but they don't have any pairings. You just make your own pairings. So you can be on the range and talking to somebody and say, hey, let's go play at, at 1 o'clock or whatever, and you just make your own games. So I walk over to the first tee box, and standing over there and next thing I turn around I see uh, it was uh, Glenn Day who was on the tee box and I recognized him did not know him I had played junior golf against him a long long time ago uh, but he was over there and it was just another guy had his back to us and I said uh, I said you just got the two of you he said yeah come on join us and like, just like the year before every guy up there was just really really welcoming and the other guy turned around, and lo and behold, it was Todd Hamilton again. <laughs> so here I am playing with him, and I said, hey, Todd. I said, I know you don't remember me, but we played together last year. And he, whether he acted like it or whether he knew it about it, he, yeah. he's, he brought up some stories that we had talked about. Uh, so I played with them that day. Uh, next day I played in the Pro-Am. We played with, uh, or after the Pro-Am, played with Tommy Armour III, played with Kirk Triplett again. Uh, so... I, I put myself, I tried to make myself get in those positions where I was playing with a lot of the regular pros because I didn't, I wanted to try to experience nervousness 
during the practice rounds. So and going back to and getting, zone. getting out of my element in the comp in the practice round. So when I got paired in the tournament, that I wasn't, you know, a fish out of water, so right. to speak. We get our pairings for the week when I get up there on Sunday. We saw our pairings, and uh, I was paired with David Frost and Ken Tanagawa. I knew I knew about David Frost. Did not know much about Ken Tanagawa. Well, as it turns out, Ken um, he won the tournament. Won the senior PGA that year, so I played the first two rounds with the, the with the winner, and uh, a really funny story and a really cool story about the whole uh, whole week sums it up in this. Ken, probably in my over fifty years of being on the golf course and playing with different people, probably have not met a nicer gentleman on the golf course than Ken Tanagawa. Uh, he was really super cool. He and his caddy both real supportive of us, uh, myself. And my, I'd hit a shot and his caddy would look at my caddy. Um, he'd say, man, your guy's got all the shots. And w whether I had all the shots or not was irrelevant. It was just, they were trying to pump me up. And, um, you know, like I said, everything they did was really just awesome. The way they treated me, uh, tried to give me, and I played okay, I shot 75. Uh, the first day, I was still right in the middle of it. And then um, second day, I actually beat Ken. But uh, uh, the, we come in, we started on the back nine on the second day. So we uh, finished up on the front nine. And they have leaderboards almost every single hole, smaller leaderboards behind the holes. And they have at the very top of this board, it'll have current cut line, uh, 72 players at plus eight or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this coming in the last five, six holes. And I come off number five, which was our 15th or 14th hole, I guess. And um, I'm like nine over for the tournament. Now, you're nine over is very high score, but you got to go back to 2008. They had the senior PGA at Oak Hill, and Jay Haas won the tournament with plus seven. Right, so, so Oak Hill's definitely more of a challenge. It is very <laughs> tough, and which probably played into my uh, – because it was a long golf course, and I figured if I had a chance to make a cut, it might be on a golf course where you didn't have to shoot – uh, you know, the winner wasn't going to shoot 15 under or 20 under like some of these senior tour events can do. I figured if the cut is going to be over par, five, seven, ten. I think the cut the previous time was thirteen over par. So I thought, you know, hey, I can do that. So here I am standing at nine over par. I look at the leaderboard. It said current cut line, uh, seventy players at plus eight or better. I turned to my caddy. I said, we're right in the middle of this. I said, if we can birdie one of these holes coming in, and granted they're all tough coming in. But I said, if we can birdie one of these holes coming in, so we make the cut. A little bit nuts to me until after the round, he mumbled behind me as we was walking up the hill to this par three, number six. Uh, he go after I said that, he said, and it's probably not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that till after the round. Uh, he told me that. Well, I get on the tee box, and it's a little bit downhill. It's about 165 yards, and I'm pumped up. And I'm first on the tee, and I'm in between an eight iron and a seven iron. And so I'm standing there. Long story short, I pull the eight iron. I hand wheel my, my seven iron, 
and Ken and his caddy both looked at the club. His caddy looked at Will, my caddy, and was like almost gesturing like, what is he doing? He's got an eight iron from 100, and there's a bunker and the pins toward the back. And I've got to carry this bunker and it's probably 155, 160 yard carry. And I've got eight iron. And uh, I turned to Will and I, I remember saying, I got a little wind with us, don't I? And Will said, uh, yeah, 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 you do. And Greg, Ken's caddy, turned to Will and he's like, no, he don't have any. He was, he was, <laughs> they were trying to call me off the shot, I believe. But anyway, I hit the shot. I actually hit it about 10, 12 feet past the hole. Oh, wow. And make the putt for birdie. So I proved them all wrong. <laughs> so I make birdie. I end up par seven, a par eight. We come into number nine, which our thir- our last hole. It was a 36 hole. So I'm right on the cut there. Mm-hmm. And I get up there and I hit my tee shot just barely through the fairway and I'm in the rough. And the pin was on the very front right. And I knew leaving it short of the green, I probably was not gonna get up and down. So I hit the seven iron and it came out a flyer and it came out hot. Hit on the, toward the back of the green, one hopped over the back of it. I've got 15, 10 yards over the back of the green in rough, heavy rough, chipping downhill. Uh, Ken, which was so cool, he comes up behind me and uh, he says, come on pro, get this one up and down. They knew exactly where I stood as well as I did. Right. Uh, I'm watching the leaderboard and Ken's, I think he's in second place. He wasn't having as good a day on, on Friday as, as he did on Thursday. But uh, he comes up behind me and says, come on pro, get, get this up and down. And so I ended up missing the putt, chipped down there and missed it. And as soon as I missed it, go back to plus nine and everybody in the group, I, I think everybody just like, oh, I, I almost hear the groans. And they're like, oh, pro was pulling for you, was pulling for you. And I'm so dejected, walking off the back of the green, I'm giving my golf ball to, my, to Will, my caddy, I'm getting all my stuff out of my bag. And I look, I happen to look at the big leaderboard and it had changed. And it said, current cut line, plus nine, or 78 players at plus nine or better. And I did a double take and I said, I asked uh, David Frost caddy, Jack, I said, Jack, I said, am, am I reading that right? And he said, what do you, I said, it says current cut line plus nine now. He said, yeah. He said, your bogey just moved the cut line. <laughs> you were the instigator. I was the, I the was influencer. The one, I was yeah. the person that moved the cut line from plus eight to plus nine because there was only about three other players on the golf course that even had an influence on the cut line. So it ended up my bogey on the last toe actually got me in as well as eight other golfers, seven or eight other golfers. Uh, one of them being Colin Montgomery, who I was paired with the next day. Oh, wow. So I go up to Colin Montgomery on Saturday morning on the putting green. I said, uh, said Colin, said, I introduced myself, huh? you know, Jared Melson. I said, you're here today because of me. And he goes, well, how's that? And I said, well, my bogey on the last toe yesterday turned the cut line from plus eight to plus nine. So he said, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, had, had a lot of fun with that. And like I said, everybody up that whole week was just uh, just incredible. 
just trying to make you feel like you really belonged. And, you know, the stories, I could go on and on, but I, I know. This well, got- we see it on the local level. The PGA is a fraternity. We, we all get together. We, we, we stay together and room together in events when we're traveling and stuff like that. And we always go out our way to speak. And so to hear the guys on the big tours are, are the same way makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely amazing. So let's shift gears a little bit. So now we've talked about tournaments. We're playing where you've at. Now take me through a normal practice warm-up for you if you're going to the range, what you're working on, what your swing thoughts are, versus a pre-round warm-up. What, what changes? What are you doing differently the day before you tee it up at a major versus what you're doing the day before you tee it up uh, at the club? Um, I think the key is just that old simple saying is keep it simple. Um, I try not to get very technical in my golf swing, and I know a lot of teachers, uh, they get so many position-type teaching that I just I can't, I can't work with that. Uh, it's, to me, it's get a certain feel and go out and get properly warmed up and hit a few balls. Now, this is for like tournament golf. Mm-hmm. I'm going out there. My main goal is just to get warmed up, hit some several wedges starting out, and then just go through your routine. Pick out, I'll pick out probably, I may one day, I may start with a sand wedge. I'll go to an eight iron. I'll take one of my hybrids, and then I'll hit some drivers. And the next day I may start with my gap wedge, and I'll go to a nine iron, and I'll go to a seven iron, and then maybe a hybrid and a driver. So keeping a little bit of variety like you're playing the golf course, not hitting the same club over and over. A little over bit, yes. I know a lot of teachers recommend that you go to the range before the warm-up and um, you pr- do a proper warm-up, but once you get warmed up, literally hit driver or whatever club you're going to hit on the first hole of the day. Imagine, okay, this went 260 or 270, and I've got a 9-iron left, let's say, into the green. Well, go get your 9-iron. Let's hit a nine iron to a target on the on the practice range, and then if you hit a chip shot or something, go to the next hole. If it's a layup hole off the tee, you might want to hit your hybrid on that and swap clubs almost every single shot. It's a very effective practice way. I don't do it very often, but uh, in a way, I've kind of kind of doing something similar. But I usually will start out with the short irons. And I'm just working on feel for the day. I'm just trying to get into a good rhythm. Like I said, the last thing I want to do is start thinking about positions of getting your left arm here. You got to get your right arm there. You got to do, I mean, I I think that's okay for practice sessions uh, away from tournaments. But once you go out to play golf, you've got to forget about that. I I think the old story I always bring up was – Nick Faldo was probably the most mechanical golfer of years ago, back in the 80s oh, yeah, and, definitely. and 90s. Uh, he had, I don't know, 50 different positions that he would work on during a, a range session. He would go out to the golf course, and when he played his best, you can't tell me that he was thinking about any of those positions. He's yeah. just freewheeling it. I remember hearing a story. He was number one player in the world, started working with Ledbetter, and took like six months off from tournament play or something like that to make sure his swing was exactly where he wanted it to be before he brought it back. So, I mean, the mechanical mind works for some people, but it's not what everybody thinks. Swing thoughts get trapped too often. Right. And that's going back to my swing thoughts. Since the last three or four years, 
when I was doing that work with Ron Cox, my literal swing thought, even a couple years ago, um, was I came up with one, uh, it was lock and load. Basically lock my right side into position, load my weight up on the right side, and that's all I thought about. For some of like the uh, Club Pro Championship, that was my swing thought for the whole week, lock and load. Something oh, wow. simple that had nothing to do with golf swing or position or anything. But it was a feeling that meant something to you. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and years and years ago, I had I was playing, I won the uh, State Open here in Tennessee in 95, a long time ago. My thoughts that whole week, my one swing thought all week was tempo. And what is what is tempo? Tempo means a lot of different things to everybody. A lot of different people, yes. And there's no description of it means this or this exactly. It's just tempo is tempo, and that's that was my whole swing thought for the whole week. And just sometimes you you when you think about some of your best rounds, you've got a song or something in your mind that you're singing throughout the day, so you're preoccupying your conscious mind with something else to let your subconscious take over. And that's the key, I think, in tournaments, is you've got to you you got to keep your conscious mind away from because if you don't, you're going to get into all those swing thoughts. If I got to get into this, I got to do this, 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 this. Next thing you know, you can't even take it back. You start staring it and visualizing the water on the left and the out of bounds on the right and, yes. and trying to guide it back into place. Exactly. And I love that. All right. So to be mindful of your time, appreciate you coming up today. Let Let's talk about 2020. What are your goals? What are you thinking? So we've got. Three-time player of the year. We, we've qualified for a couple of majors now. We've made a cut in a major. What are we looking for out of Jared in 2020? Uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot with this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've got to have goals. And uh, I, I think to to say I, I'm going to do this or going to do that, I want to do this, I want to do that, um, it, it's, it's okay to do that, but I think you've got to uh, – remember how do you how do you attain that you have different processes to get to those goals you can't just say i want to win four tournaments this year i want to make the cut at the senior pga or anything i'm back on the alternate list ironically for this senior pga this year so i'm hoping to get in I'm fourth on the alternate list this time i was ninth on it last time i got a good feeling i may get in but still probably won't know to the week of but to sit here and say that uh, I'd love to win a, a, a fourth senior player of the year, that would, that would be awesome to me. But to get there, you've got to think about what it's going to take to get there. You can't just say, I want to, I got to win this tournament or I got to win that tournament because then you put the pressure on yourself to do that and then you're going to probably fail. So you've got to go out and just say, I, I want to play the best I can. I've, Maybe identify some areas to work on, some of your weaknesses. Right now, I feel like my short game, my chipping around the greens uh, has probably been my weakest part of my game simply because uh, for the last three years, I've been hitting the ball so well that mostly in tournaments, like the tournaments around here in the Tennessee PGA, um, I've been averaging probably... 15 greens in regulation over the probably I'd say the last two or three years. Okay. I don't have many round. I don't have many opportunities. I have to chip, and a lot of the greens that I miss, I'll miss it from 
two feet, three feet, and I'm of that philosophy. I putt every chance I get. Uh, the last thing I want to do is chip from off the green. So I'm that old philosophy. If you've heard, probably somebody said your your uh, best chip is equal to your worst putt from oh, off yeah. the greens. And I'm, I kind of go along with that. So I played a few rounds this past year, um, a couple of rounds, never even chipped, not once. So now, did you steal Todd's uh, hybrid idea from the? Uh the senior, <laughs> you still just use the putter from the French. I use the putter. Okay. I play it way up in my stance, try to get some quote-unquote top spin on it and try to get it through the, the grass there. But, uh, no, that's, uh, it's something that, uh, like I said, I don't work on it that much. Um, and I know it's probably an area I do need to work on some. So more about the process, you'll get the good results by working on the process. So your process, hit more fairways, trying to hit more greens, get your chip shots closer, and if you do all that, then you're going to put yourself in the position to win or make the cuts or whatever you're looking at there. Right. I mean, what you just talked about there just kind of hit uh, hit the nail on the head to me was that maybe my goal would be to hit more fairways, hit more greens, have a better up-and-down percentage, and not the goal of saying – I'm going to win a tournament or win four tournaments, or I'm going to place here and win this, win that. That way, my goal is to better the process. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. And it's one of the things I, I talk about so much with my students as well. Uh, again, we can go out and we can do everything. You know, the funny thing about golf is it's not how good you do, it's how good everybody around you does. Um, Going right, back you can't just, control what other yeah, people do. <laughs> yeah, we get in those tournaments against Johan, and he's hitting it way past us exactly. and making a lot more birdies. And you're still finishing top five, though, in those events. So it's right. not about length. It's you have a process that gets you there and makes you competitive with everybody else. And everybody else needs to find that. Right, right. Well, Jared, thank you again so much for your time. Everybody, that's Jared Melson from the Bear Trace at Tim's Ford in Manchester. I got it right this time. Yeah. <laughs> Winchester. Winchester. Man, I messed it up again. <laughs> I'll figure out how to get down to your place sometime. So, again, Jared, thank you so much, and uh, thanks for being on Believe in Tennessee Golf. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. I want to again thank Jared for coming on and doing that interview with me earlier this year. I know he's in second place running into the last couple of events for the year behind Mr. Breen, so still trying to get that fourth player of the year trophy and status underway, but we wish him good luck. Uh, everybody, get out, be safe, have some fun, play some golf. We still got a couple weeks for time change, so get out there, play well, and find some fairways. Talk to y'all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.